BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this free episode of Dunkdown. Nate and Danny, in just a few moments, will be going over their award picks. If you subscribe to Dunkdown Prime, you can get this same episode ad-free. You can also get a text copy of all of Nate and Danny's award picks, along with the other players they considered for their ballots. You can also get access to the spreadsheet with all the statistics, advanced, basic, uh, some exclusive Seth Partnow stats that Nate and Danny used uh, to as reference when when making their choices. So a lot of extra features for subscribers just on this podcast alone. And then, of course, uh, every day we have daily dunks. Uh, a few times a week we have posts from Seth on some statistical ideas, some things he's looking at, uh, going, going beyond just the numbers, but him explaining the numbers, him explaining what the numbers mean for certain teams, certain players, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, additional podcasts, just a ton of content if you want to subscribe. And we have a a sale in conjunction with Seth joining us available right now at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. Time has come for us to slog through. We've got our awards podcast here, and Dan has really helped out. We have all the stats in front of us now. We've got Seth's usage stats available also which were extremely valuable by the way great great good Uh, and i'm I'm interested to see how we're gonna put those into context here i think where i want to start though is just discussing this environment that we are in right now offensively to put these stats that we're going to be providing into context the average true shooting percentage in the nba is now at an all-time high it's about 57 percent especially high considering how early in the season we are that offense usually rises throughout the season another piece of context here The league median and league average are both about a 112 offensive rating on NBA.com. That's where we're getting our on-off stats from. The league leader right now is Boston with a 120.9 offensive rating. They're like five points ahead of league average. The worst team in the league right now is Charlotte with a 105.9. They're actually a couple points worse than the second worst team and actually i misspoke on boston they are five points per hundred ahead of like the second best team and like eight right. ahead of league average right now so a lot of these individual stats there's going to be sticker shock with them for sure so we got to remember to put it in context of that league average true shooting 57 percent and my focus at least was going to be who is really driving the team performance the most the team performance to a really high level maybe even more so than usual here um but anything else you wanted to add just in a general sense before we get started yeah uh so for those of you who are newer to this 
these are not predictive in the slightest. This is solely awarding based on what has happened so far. And that and whether we're talking about, you know, MVP and all NBA, or we're talking about something else, you know, we could think that somebody's gonna have a stronger case moving forward. Maybe they haven't played enough games or anything like that. That doesn't matter. That's this is just what has happened so far. How are we going to evaluate it? And there is an element of, you know, like how sustainable is this? But generally speaking for me, and for those who remember eons ago, I had CJ McCollum. I think I had him fifth in my MVP at one point in this first, this first awards pod that we did. And he ended up falling off of that, which was unfortunate, but that's the way things go. And so it's, and that does lead to some fun, fresh names, particularly in the all NBA conversation. And, but you and I are rigorous about this. And so it's, it it is, that's where that player has played so far. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way of looking at it. And for me, a tiebreaker this early in the season, most guys have played around 20 games. A tiebreaker is just who I generally think is better, particularly in the, the All-NBA category. And I'm not going to be too draconian about minutes played and games, but if you've only played, you know, like less than 60% of your team's games, 65% of your team's games, that's when I start to maybe cut it off a, a little bit. And that will lead to some volatility with certain players as we go forward. But hey, this is supposed to capture essentially what has happened so far as of this point in the season. As you noted, this is just what we think, who we think should win it, not who we think will win it or who our colleagues would vote for now. Or, and it's not predictive of who we will pick at the end of the season, nor, as you said, is it predictive of who we think our colleagues will pick at the end of the season. So any further prevaricating needed or can we get started with MVP? Let's get started with MVP. And I think that it's worthwhile at the start. I'm not saying I'm picking him number one, but just to say you, and I'll use Seth Partnow's total usage as a way of conveying how much Can, can larger... we explain what total usage is uh, real quick? Sure. It's going to be on the, on the public pod. And quickly, I will plug it as well. We're going to be making this spreadsheet that we use to for all of the candidates, all of the awards, including Defensive Player of the Year. We're going to make that available to subscribers. We're going to make Seth's stats available pretty soon. We just got to work through some formatting issues on that. Uh, that'll be publicly available at first, and I assume eventually we'll put that behind the paywall as well. So you can get all this stuff. Of course, you can subscribe to Dunkdown Prime. You can get Seth's Nerd Noshes a few times a week. He wrote an interesting one today looking at the overall shooting quality of each team and their lineups. And you can get these stats. You, of course, get Dan Feldman's Daily Dunks. And you can get Hollinger and Duncan as well once a week in addition to five pods for me and Danny per week, all of them ad-free. Now, you're, let's uh, let's explain just what total usage is here, Danny, before we sure. uh, we get into this. So uh, you and Seth talked about it a little bit in that intro in the intro pod that you did. But basically, the idea is that you're trying to come. There's scoring usage, which is, you know, what percent what proportion of a team's possessions end with you ideally making a shot, taking a shot. But then there's also playmaking usage, which kind of incorporate it incorporates assists but also potential assists and a few other things and then there's turnover usage which is easy to track because it's just how many turnovers do you actually have and so just to kind of set the ballpark here well and, and quickly that denominator it's basically scoring attempts either free throws or shots plus potential assists and free throw assists that's using the nba's tracking data that's some, yes. that, a proprietary metric that seth came up with that a potential assist is when you throw a pass to a teammate who shoots free throw assist it is obvious so it doesn't assist can be changed by whether the guy makes the shot or not 
potential assists they just show when you're the one setting stuff up and then obviously you add in the turnovers as well so it's changing the denominator for some of these usual usage stats right and part and part of the idea was players who didn't take a ton of field goal attempts but had a lot of playmaking roles it looked like their turnover rates were high that was the original inspiration behind this seth also wrote about it well in his book the mid-range theory and so to kind of get get into the context here for most of these kind of mvp candidates the floor for their total usage is going to be in the low 40% of their team's possessions. Like that can be, so for example, Jason Tatum, 41.6%, Donovan Mitchell, 42.2%. Then you scale up from there and you got players in the mid 40s, like Stephen Curry at 44.4. You have players in the high 40s, like Nikola Jokic at 48.8. Then you have Luka Doncic at 57.8% of this team's possessions. And so the, like Luka, he is a full step above above even the the most heliocentric players right now like for example Trey Young is at 52.2 and Dallas's offense when Luka's been on the floor this is the NBA.com version of the stat 115.9 offensive rate so he is taking on a historic role within his team's offense so I wanted to mention that as context while then saying Luka Doncic is not my number one in MVP right now no for me it's Stephen Curry and I actually had him a tier above the rest of these guys doing the two actually two through six frankly was total splitting hairs for me but curry to me is clearly above everyone else right now and the reason for that is he's checking every single box yes the warriors are now 11 and 11 but that certainly is not because they haven't been good when he's been on the floor particularly on offense which is what matters i'm sure you can get more into the numbers on that but the number i really wanted to highlight is Stephen Curry is basically having the most efficient high volume scoring season in NBA history right now. And yes, this is a high offense environment. But if you look at all of the seasons in NBA history where a player has had over 25% usage, Stephen Curry is number two with that but he's got 31.4 it's way above the 25 percent actually another player we'll talk about in a second is number one this season but Seth has way higher usage than that player and so just the combination of usage and efficiency 31.4 percent traditional usage and 68 percent true shooting you just don't that that's unprecedented in NBA history the previous record uh of true shooting percentage for a guy with over 25 usage was held by Steph Curry in 2018 and the one below that was Steph Curry in 2016, but this is now even almost a point of true shooting higher than he was then. And as I'm sure, well, was he your number one also? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what, what other statistical reasons are there to believe in Steph Curry as the MVP right now? The Warriors have the, I think it's the third best offensive rating of any of the serious candidates with him on the floor. And while that falls off a cliff when he is off the floor, A, that is an indication of how important Stephen Curry is to the Warriors, something that should be apparent to a lot of people. But also that shows how the the reason the Warriors record is, you know, 500 is not because Steph Curry has been below his standard. It's been because the Warriors are outscored by 17.7 points per hundred possessions when he's off the floor. If they were even slightly close to competent, as they have been the last little while when Curry's been off, they're generally playing pretty well. And so I, I I hope that this early in the season, most people don't do words this early, that people wouldn't be like, well, it's on re- record or anything like that. They're not one of the best teams in the league. 
when Curry has been on the floor, the Warriors have been one of the better teams. And it's completely unfair, as we argued years ago with Trey Young, to punish a player because the team, whether it's due to roster construction, injuries, or anything else, is just complete trash when they're off the floor. The numbers are quite staggering. The Warriors plus 9.3 net rating when Stephen Curry is on the floor. That's fourth among all of these serious candidates for MVP. They are negative 17.7 when he's off the floor. That is a differential of 27 points per 100 possession. Basically, all of that comes on the offensive end. 121 offensive rating. That's better than best in the league, Boston which is a Boston is just blowing the doors off of everyone right now. So the Warriors are better than Boston has been when Curry's on the floor and they dropped to 94.7 when he is off the floor. Granted that a, a lot of that's been because their bench has been a disaster. So I, he doesn't have that big of an effect that 94.7 would be 10 points, 100 worse than the worst team in the NBA, which is Charlotte right now. So that's, that's a tough comparison, but it does show you that there's not like so much surrounding talent uh, for him and then also when you get into the two impact metrics that we like to use estimated plus minus and raptor stephen curry is the runaway leader in those as well i I will note that technically he is not the runaway leader in raptor if you don't account for minutes played Jokic is above him but when you account for minutes played curry is Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, and also because Raptor... Raptor loves Jokic's defense. Crazy five point, plus five point. Like, Raptor says Nikola Jokic is one of the best defenders in the NBA, which I don't agree with, uh, <laughs> to, to, to be clear. But certainly he's way above everyone in offensive Raptor and then yep. way above everyone in both offensive EPM and EPM as well. And just for to get Seth's stats out there, total usage is 44.4. Playmaking usage is probably higher than some people think at 14.6. Very rarely turns the ball over. He's one of the lowest in terms of turnover usage in Seth's stats among these candidates. And I would even say that that 44.4% total usage, much more than probably anybody else on this list, understates his offensive impact due to his gravity off the ball, all those cuts that he opens up when he's running off the ball, uh, just the gravity that he provides for his teammates when he doesn't have the ball. So I, I think of all these players, that probably understates the effect that he has and you see it in the on-off. So this is an historic season that Stephen Curry is having and he's also right up there in terms of minutes played among these guys so he sat out two games for rest that's been it and so yeah i think he's pretty much the runaway leader for me is that the case for you as well yes that is the case for me as well does your next tier cover two through six or is there a subdivision no it does cover two through six uh, i would say actually so i ultimately went with Nikola Jokic as my number two. I, I have Jokic at number three, but I'm completely fine with having him at number two. Part of the reason for me with Jokic, and again, I'm not dwelling too much over this, is that he's playing fewer minutes per game and has played in fewer games. So like the the opportunity impact it. And I understand it's a significant part. Like Jokic, the argument that Jokic has been a better offensive player than Luka Doncic is completely reasonable. Like they're, they're in the same ballpark. Jokic has been much more effective as an individual scorer. 70% true shooting is jaw-dropping and Jokic actually has higher overall playmaking usage than Luka it's just that he doesn't take nearly as many shots so the argument there and then while the Nuggets have been awful on defense so far this year they've been significantly more respectable though still not you know they've been a they have a 111 defensive rating when Jokic has been on the floor 
So the idea that Jokic has been so much like that he's like a huge negative defensively, even if we both disagree with the contention from Raptor that he's the second best defender in the league so far, or at least second most valuable, that like you can make the argument. I think Luka has been better offensively than Jokic by a little bit, but I totally respect like I have Luka two and Jokic three. Some of the numbers have been absolutely insane once again. 70% true shooting on 26.5 usage. He was up around that 70% true shooting early in the year, and it seemed like he was taking a step back in terms of his own scoring and he has managed to maintain that efficiency as he's ramped up the scoring he was 23 probably about 10 games into the season now he's at that 26.5 he's been in the high 20s the last few years like 29 i think he even went up to 31 percent last year i expect him to be certainly high 20s but when you throw in the playmaking he has the highest playmaking usage at center by the way of any of the players that we're remotely considering even higher than luca by about a percentage point and a half and you know the scoring usage is one of the lower ones here but we know that he can ramp that up and i mean this is the most eye-popping number danny of of maybe of any number that's on here other than possibly that combination of true shooting and usage for curry 125 nuggets offensive rating with nicole Jokic on the unreal that is just batshit insane like Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry are the two best offensive players in basketball to me given even with Luka and KD like they just those guys haven't shown the ability to push their teams consistently to just these crazy offensive heights Curry had a down regular season in part last year but we saw it in the playoffs we saw it in the 21 season as well like those two guys to me are just way ahead of everyone else well and and there is a natural argument that Luca has very offensively limited teammates and that he you know especially dependent as creators but Jokic oftentimes does too I mean Michael Porter Jr. is is a phenomenal offensive player and and Murray is great but is working his way back this is not peak Jamal Murray to be clear I I mean he's held this offense together even when they've kind of had guys in and out of the lineup a ton and working guys back in etc yeah so I, I think that argument is completely fair and I I've watched a few Mavs broadcasts that are trying to pump up Luca's defense it's been all right like it's not he was actually it, really good last night against he was State in he the was very good but yeah State. I think it, he has to be great I think Jokic's been a little bit worse defensively and, and well, Jokic but. plays a higher a higher leverage defensive position so even though Jokic the offensive rules don't apply and he we value we value him offensively and I would argue that it's even more impactful for a center because you think about how that changes the way the the other team works and that it opens up things like you can play Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell Pope together and everything else and they've of course gotten a lot from Bruce Brown so I, I think that I, I I thought about putting a separate tier line between those two and everyone else but I, I didn't end up doing it just because I think the other guys have really strong cases. Do you have Luca third? I actually have Luca sixth. Wow. But I, again, like Luca Doncic could totally be second for me. I really have no way of differentiating between these guys. I think I just went with Jokic's track record as a, a great regular season offensive player. I think that the other way I differentiate is just uh, Luca. Yeah, he is the alpha and the omega offensively as you like to say and they don't have other guys who can do much off the dribble but he's always going to dominate the ball so much anyway it it doesn't in some ways matter how much help he has he's not really a good off 
off-ball threat either like as a spot-up guy he doesn't like to spot up the the defense doesn't need to stick that close to him he's also just not shooting a great percentage from three and so just the overall and yeah I realize that like some of his Mavs teammates aren't making shots we've talked about that pretty extensively but just uh, when you look at the on-court offensive rating and also the the impact metrics uh, as well for me uh I mean, I guess I guess Raptor and EPM really like Luca a, a lot. I've I've been a little bit lower on what he's been able to do defensively than those metrics would have. But I think it's just the fact that the team offensive performance hasn't been as high with Luca. Still pretty good, you know, one fifteen point nine when he's on the floor, and they're much worse when he's off, of course, because they don't have anyone else. But it's still not at the level of a Curry or a Jokic, and so that that was just the differentiator and the overall. Uh, net rating when he's on the floor Luca is a plus 4.2 that's just way way below all the other serious MVP candidates except for one and I think like the Mavs haven't had serious injury issues this year like this is a, a team that can work around him so again I, I'm I don't know if I'm grasping at straws or splitting hairs whatever it is like you want to say you, Luca's number two I can't argue with you that much it's really it was between two through six I can't differentiate much but it just I guess it comes down to just that the Mavs haven't been that good with him on the floor and I don't think his surrounding talent is like so much worse than these other guys I don't think it's so much worse I think a lot of them have played below their standard and I don't blame Luca yeah, for that fair. and so you know like like Bullock and Tim Hardaway Jr. missing a billion threes like I don't I don't really blame blame Luca for that but yeah and and I think that it bears some well, emphasis here's, here's on to Luca when you just look at his overall efficiency personally all right 60.5 percent true shooting that's pretty good but it's the lowest of almost all these guys except for one and that guy is a very very good defender Giannis and then you also throw in the fact that he's shooting this 29 percent from three taking a ton of threes it's just because of that with the huge amount of usage he has like yes he's keeping these guys afloat and yes they're missing threes but I mean he's been awesome but when you remember again the league average is 57 percent true shooting when you're at 60.5 and you're shooting that 29 percent for three and taking a ton of threes it's very very difficult unless your teammates are just like making every single shot to push the offense to these stratospheric heights like yeah. it is with curry it, and Jokic and also jason tatum and like it's an interesting argument so it's like you bring up tatum so tatum shooting has two percent higher true shooting than luca and you can easily make the argument that if you added the amount the shots that luca is taking that tatum is not to tatum that it would be below that standard but also why would you do that because nobody should be taking that many shots so it's, it, it is this interesting argument for them and that kind of gets into the other players that are worthy of this conversation which to me the other three that we haven't yet mentioned are Tatum Durant and Giannis and all of them are extremely worthy in any combination again I have I have the tiers roughly the same as you and let's start of those three with Jason Tatum in part because he is on the league's best team so far and Tatum his offensive role is smaller than all of the other players in this and that's not a huge surprise but his his team's offense is also generally the best overall that's not traditional usage that's 32.6 percent uh but the playmaking usage is is lower nine percent yeah so overall tatum at 41.6 that is slightly below duran at 43.2 and then well below Jokic, curry Giannis, and 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 Jokic and Doncic. so i i think that Tatum, though, he has been very efficient for his part. I mean, 62.5% true shooting is fantastic. It's well above Giannis, for example. It's below Durant. And also, he's been a part of a league average, but a mod- moderately successful defense and the league's best team overall. And so, like again, he is, he is worthy. He is worthy of this 
praise worthy of this conversation he's also the second best defensive player of this group behind Giannis and he's probably as the second most off-ball gravity of this group I mean KD does too but he just doesn't get up that many threes like Jason Tatum and he's only shooting 35 percent from three too a lot of this has been that he's just so much better at getting to the rim and, and getting to the foul line but and you just look at that Celtics offensive rating when he's on the floor 122.6 another just absolutely comical number they're 10 points per 100 better on offense when he's on the floor the defense hasn't the defensive impact hasn't shown up as much in the numbers this year but we know that he has a a lot of that skill he's a quality option defensively and he's been a big part of the celtics moving the ball more he's worked more as a screener than ever before this year keep in mind if i were just ranking which of these players the best this list would be different tatum would probably be the worst of the six to me but in terms of just what's occurred so far this season also he has the second highest minutes of any of these players with kd being the highest as well in part two having played a couple more games uh, than tatum so everything has been awesome for tatum if he starts shooting the three a little bit better like it could get even more ridiculous for him he never turns it over that's that's a big advancement that he's had so far this year and certainly when you look at how good the celtics have been overall plus 11.6 when he's on the floor that's second on this list behind Jokic. we didn't mention that about Jokic, by the way the nuggets are plus 14 yeah Nicole Jokic is on the floor which is insane but uh tatum is second in that metric surely the celtics probably have the most talent of any of these teams but yeah he's got to be right in there and i think again the heights to which he has pushed the celtics when he's been out there and the way his style it might be less heliocentric but it also fits into what can be an absolute ridiculous offense whereas i think the crazy heliocentrism of luca does have a ceiling on it it does Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us so, um, and then the other player, we'll, we'll move to another one in this conversation. So I, I consider Kevin Durant's case kind of an alternate version of Jason Tatum's. He obviously doesn't have the same level of team success, but the Brooklyn Nets offense has been much, much stronger when Durant's been on the floor. It drops off by 16.2 points per hundred possessions. So like they've been 115.8 offensive rating is actually about the same as Luka, but then they fall off even more extreme than Luka. And Durant has been efficient as an individual player, 66% true shooting on 32% usage, 43.2% Seth Partner total usage. And Durant has been solid on the defensive end. Um, EPM actually believes that he has been the second best defender of this group. I disagree with that. I think that he's been yeah. third at best. But he's but, he's been having a good defensive year, yes. though. I thought like his leadership in the wake of the Kyrie's latest scandal was huge they could have just completely tailspinned at that point they had a rough start to the year they've gotten back to at least being competent now Ben Simmons is out again we'll we'll see what happens the rest of the year there but you know, he's averaging 1.8 blocks per game like he's trying to do more defensively there's only so much he can do with this huge offensive load but I, I think it, like he actually um some of the other number the efficiency numbers he's uh the third most efficient player individually uh, on this list as well 60 5.9% true shooting ho hum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then the last the last case the, that we haven't mentioned is Giannis. And Giannis has been the weakest of these players offensively to, to be sure. I mean lowest individual efficiency at 57.7%, though he does have a higher overall role um using Seth's total usage. He's at 51.5, which is actually second of these six players behind Luka. Uh, he's above Jokic and a few others. And Giannis is, is clearly the best defender of this group. Um, for me, the reason that Giannis ended up being a little bit lower while still in the same tier is just he hasn't been as impactful offensively. And I have sympathy personally for Giannis because their ecosystem offensively has been in challenge without Chris Middleton, and he has had to take on more of the burden. But the standard set by these other five individuals offensively is so ridiculous that he's been the sixth best offensively, and I consider offense more important than defense in terms of the individual elements, even though Giannis is miles better than the others defensively. Yeah, and we'll talk more about him 
and his teammate brooke lopez in the defensive player of the year conversation but certainly a big feather in his cap is that the bucks started off the season as a ridiculous defense now they've kind of come back to the pack to just being a great defense but still 101.8 defensive rating when Giannis is on the floor he's played a little bit less than some of these guys only 16 games but they are still seven points 100 better when he's on the floor defensively and they are a average offense when he's on the floor offensively and then basically worse in the league level when he sits and I think it's if he were just shooting the ball a little bit better, not even right. at the rim, he, he's he definitely is just like smashing his head into a wall over and over again, particularly they've had Holiday out at, for times as well. Uh, they just don't have anyone else in this team who can make a play. Middleton's coming back now, like he, he might take off in terms of efficiency. But the bigger problem for him right now is shooting 23% from three on three attempts a game. And then his free throw shooting has been a massive issue so far. And that's the thing that's holding his efficiency down basically at league average. And so I think like he's just not quite having, even when you like, there's no reason he can't be making his free throws or making his three pointers, at least at, you know, 30%, like he's been the last couple of years instead of 23%. And so if he were just doing that, maybe he would be number two. Yeah, I think, I think he but would it, be. He just, like the when you just have league average offensive efficiency in this group it's just and yeah i get that the bucks are are 14 and 5 they've gotten a little lucky there as well and Giannis hasn't played as many games or minutes as some of these guys so that's i had him at fourth behind tatum uh kd at fifth lucas sixth but uh i still think and and you know 9.7 net rating when Giannis is on the floor given the bucks absences is very very good uh so again i i think you know if we were just ranking who the best players are, it would be either him or Steph. But I think he's just been a little bit below his standards from a shooting standpoint. And maybe even defensively, he's only averaging like one block a game. It's uh, He still has a very good number in terms of shooting percentage allowed at the rim. But Brooke Lopez contests a lot more shots than he does. He's been on the perimeter a little bit more. He hasn't played as much center this year as in the past, which makes him he's more valuable defensively when they do that uh so again i just we're trying to find some reasons here splitting yep. hairs and so these guys are all, all all really good as a point of just to to, to finish yeah. it out my top six curry one Doncic two Jokic three tatum four durant five antetokounmpo six yeah and honestly any of these guys in kind of a normal year and we'll see some guys get injured we'll see some guys drop off surely but any of these guys in a normal year would be if they just put out these numbers over the course of a season would be a totally respectable mvp absolutely let's get to all nba now and i think first team is relatively easy oh, with let's, five let's, of those let's six do, let's do it by let's do it by positions though to yeah but we could say the first team yeah the first yeah, team is yeah was, it's just a question of you know who is it going to be tatum Giannis, and kd which two of those three are going to be on your first team forwards sure and i ended up with tatum and durant over Giannis, but i would have respected a different order yeah let's, let's get to the guards now oh Steph, boy steph and luca here i actually didn't have as much trouble with this as i have had in the past i'm actually struggling more at forward which we'll get to well so um, what, what i'll say is the first two there's a line of separation between curry and Doncic and everyone else and then i had a group of four you could possibly argue a you could definitely argue a fifth in this next group and part of me didn't want to really agonize that much over which ones were second team and which ones were third team um but i'll lay out who those people are yeah. so to me you have in in no particular order you have shea gilders alexander of the thunder donovan mitchell of the Cavs, 
John Morant of the Grizzlies, Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers, and Devin Booker of the Suns. Trey Young has had a large role, but he hasn't played as well. And the team, like you know, the, I don't think his argument is quite as good. So for me, it was those no, five. No, Trey, fifty-four percent true shooting, and just hasn't been as efficient. The Hawks' offense hasn't been anywhere close to where they were with him on the floor. Even with him on the floor, they've been uh, just an average offense so far this season. So yeah, Trey, not really in the mix for me. Yeah, I, I would, I would say the I, same. I would. There's actually one other player that I would have have had in the mix. Sure, I didn't end up picking him. That's uh, Deer and Fox. Sure, that's fine. I, and Fox, he he was on the lower end in terms of his overall role, though he has been efficient individually, sixty-two percent true shooting. I I'm, I welcome his inclusion into this mix. And so parsing it between all of them gets a little bit difficult. There are a lot of different things you want to consider. You know, we'll we'll talk about EPM and Raptor and how well the teams have played offensively when they're on the floor. But the place I want to start is actually with Seth's total usage because I thought you know especially especially when we're talking about guards, the playmaking role shifting from the basketball reference usage that you and I have leaned heavily on, I think that really helped one player in particular, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. Because Tyrese Halliburton isn't as active a scorer. You know, he's if we're using basketball references version of usage, he's at 23.6%. That is below the others. But he is passing the ball a ton for the Pacers. He is he's getting that. He has the highest playmaking usage of any player in serious consideration. And the Pacers have been similar level of effectiveness offensively to these other players other than Stephen Curry, who's not in this conversation because he's above it. And so for Halliburton, you know, he's been efficient individually at the 59%, 59.5, but because of that playmaking role, and I mean, we're doing this on the heels of his 40 40 assists without a turnover in the last three games, which is only a small part of it. You know, Halliburton's played in 20 games in total. But I will say, I without Seth's version of total usage, I think I, I think I would have considered Halliburton less seriously. I ended up having him just out. Okay. In in the end, uh, and I concede that his statistical argument is about the same as everyone else's i think i ultimately just had to go with the track record for some of these guys and also i would say that shea to me is like a a step above tyrese halliburton what he's been able to do i mean if you the thunder have a higher offensive rating with shea on the floor than the pacers do with tyrese halliburton on the floor well and then you could also for you could also mention like the thunder versus the pacers the thunder versus the the pacers is that nobody else who can make a shot on this team exactly and so like that is a fair consideration and also like shea's been i none of these guys have been amazing defensively but shea's been all right and so Uh, i mean i think he's been very solid like he's averaging 1.7 steals and 1.2 blocks like that that matter i mean halliburton has been a really good steals guy too but that's kind of more like passing lanes out on the perimeter like he's not making plays in more threatening situations the way i would say that jay does sure i i think that's um, completely yeah. fair um so, so yeah i guess to, just to well all right actually go ahead i was i was i was spent there so okay so i i brought up this group of five and you added deer and fox is there anybody from that group that really stands out to you as being being like being the top being the top of that I, I went with i went with devin booker and shay gilgis alexander as my two second team guys and Devin Booker just always seems to slightly get overlooked and his individual efficiency isn't that amazing but if you look at what the Suns are doing with him on the floor 119 offensive rating that's the second highest of this group behind Curry I mean that's a crazy high number again for a Suns team like who are the other like awesome offensive players on this team for the Suns like well especially 
especially with Chris Paul, many. especially with Chris Paul missing this much time. Right, right, exactly. So, and I think he's one of the better defenders of this group. None of these guys are like unbelievable, but I, I would say he's right up there at the top of this group, also. And not quite as much of a playmaker, but you know, certainly no slouch in that area. It's basically he's. 14%. There's Luca at 21 playmaking usage for South and then 28% for Halbert, which I think is the highest in the league. And so, yeah, I think Booker to me, particularly just how good the Suns have been and their plus 8.7 net rating when he's on the floor. That's the second best of this guard group as well. So I, I was, I went with him and then just Shea because of what he's done carrying a Oklahoma City team to respectability and just how relentless he is as a driver getting better defensively this year I don't know if he's going to be there at the end he started to fall off at least a little bit lately uh he also is second in minutes in this group although there haven't really been any huge like games missed issues other than maybe jaw so yeah I think uh Shea was the guy for me for now um who did you have as your second team? I ended up with Shane Booker as well. It was a tough call, but the, the surrounding context for Gildas Alexander of just like the Thunder not having players who can shoot. And I mean, we, and also like you could see how horrendous their offense is when he's off the floor like that. He's Gildas Alexander has had a lot to do and he has done it well. And I considered, you know, like uh, the idea that, you know, in terms of total usage, Tyrese Halbert and John Morant, who are my my third team, they've had larger roles. But I think that Booker has done what he needed to do extremely well. And when you consider the absences that the Suns have had to deal with, and and I mean, it, I think that he's done a, a really good job kind of taking on more when the Suns needed him to. And, you know, like the other players have strong cases, too. That's why they're that's why they're going to be on, on a team for me. But. Yeah, so I have Gildas Alexander and Booker, second team, and then John Morant and Tyrese Halliburton, third team. Yeah, my only difference was I had Mitchell ahead of Halliburton. Sure. You could argue maybe that Halliburton has the better statistical case uh, mitchell though 63 percent true shooting on 31 usage that's pretty goddamn good and uh, as a score also just stepping in and playing point guard a lot when darius garland went down that's been impressive the impact hasn't liked what he's done quite as much but raptor and epm uh, believe that mitchell is the fourth best player uh, essentially out of this group i think that's yeah that he's fourth out of this group in both raptor and epm and so, and as you just, again, if I, you said, Hey, who's a better player, Tyrese Halliburton or Donovan Mitchell, I think it's Donovan Mitchell at this point in time. And so that that's Halliburton Fox. Like if those guys keep this up all year, then maybe we'll have a little bit different of a conversation, but the tie, I go to the tiebreaker at least of who I just think is the better player. And also maybe a little bit of a track record if, if I think it's close, which it is just purely statistically, but I think, uh, I'll, I'll go with Mitchell, who's also been better defensively this year, I would say, as well. And so I guess our only difference then is I have Mitchell, you have Halliburton on, yes. on third team. Yeah. And then also considered I had Fox and then anyone else that was like really in this group for you? Nope. Center, I think we can bang out pretty quickly. Jokic's first team. Yep. Joel Embiid, second team. Yep. And Embiid, like I, I long-time listeners will know, I repeat this ad nauseum, I care a lot less about how much you've played for All-NBA than I do for MVP. I care about how well you've played. And Embiid has been really impressive offensively. You know, he, he has an incredibly large role within the Philadelphia offense, and he's done well defensively as well. I mean, so he's, um, I, I don't think of him as the yeah. level of defender. Uh, on defense here, Danny, 103 defensive rating when Joel Embiid is on the, the court, that's uh, 
7.2 points for 100 better. And he's I th- like, it was a weird, it's been weird for Joel because he started off the year really oddly and then, and poorly due to this plantar fasciitis. Then he missed uh, some time due to illness, comes back. Then he also missed some time with this foot issue. So he's only played 13 games, but I, I think he's been so down. He ha- he's had the single most dominant game this year. One of the like 10 most dominant regular season games of all time against Utah. And yeah, I think he's been getting to where he needs to be defensively now. And it just, uh, while there's one other guy who I think is in this conversation, I think it beat is just a level, a high enough level above him that to say, okay, Joel has played 13 games and my third team guy anthony davis has played 17 games i think joel's been a high enough level above him that that four game difference doesn't really matter sure and also and be just he has so much more to do within the sixers offense and they've had these high profile players out including right now harden and, and tyrese maxi at the same time so and be missed some of that time too concurrently and the sixers have have held on so that that's impressive but yeah i and and ad to me is a relatively clear third as well i felt right. really badly because i originally just because in, in my mind i always think of ad as a forward i felt really badly because in my original iteration that meant that Kristaps porzingis could get a spot here and i think he's earned that i think Kristaps porzingis has played great this year but but Anthony Davis has been significantly better. So like once I realized, oh yeah, Anthony Davis is basically playing exclusively center this year. So he has to be a th- he has to be there. AD's been he's been wonderful. 63%, 63.5% true shooting on 28 usage, which is which is better offensively, you know, in those sorts of ways than than Porzingis. Also, Davis is a superior defender. And so yeah, I think I think Davis Davis is a pretty clear third, no worse than third. I think you could make an argument that he's that he has a better overall profile than Embiid, but I don't think you could make one that Porzingis or Brooke Lopez has been better than him. Yeah, the team impact for Davis has been outstanding as yes. well. The Lakers have been respectable offensively when he's been on the floor. They've been pathetic, 99.5 when he's off. So actually 12 points, 100 better when he's on the floor. And he basically, to the extent their season could be saved, it probably is unsavable. But his performance in that stretch when LeBron went down was just one of the best stretches he's probably had in his career. And the big ding on him is just the playmaking usage is just infinitesimal at uh, 5.2%. But he also at least never turns it over. And as you mentioned, you know, the defense has been very solid. So uh, he still can't hit a jump shot either, but he's averaging 2.3 blocks. It's been uh, a really nice bounce back season for him. And hopefully he'll be able to stay healthy enough to continue this. And yeah, I think Porzingis playing at kind of a, a third team all NBA level is reasonable. But the other two guys who always seem to be in this are Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. They're now teammates and they both have just not been anywhere close in terms of the impact metrics so far. Really, Porzingis is the guy who's, and Brooke Lopez too, has been an awesome on, on mostly on defense. But it, it, to me, he doesn't have the same offensive impact on most teams. He also plays that next to Giannis a lot. So I, he's not in the same group here. So I think it's a pretty clear Jokic Embiid AD as the top three at center. So and, I, I wouldn't even have anyone else that I would put in like the honorable mention, like also considered. Yeah, I, I will I will shout out Porzingis for his play, but he hasn't like I don't think you could credibly argue him over Davis. So that's generally the threshold that I use. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial their 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us we can transition to forwards three of the six slots have already been spoken for with in some order jason tatum kevin durant and Giannis antetokounmpo i actually found the rest of the forward slate pretty weak and in part because some of those some of the players who we hope to be a part of this conversation haven't played enough like Kawhi Leonard and also I will say that Pascal Siakam has been really good when he's been on the floor but he's only he's only played in 10 games so far which is insufficient for me like that's about half of what his team's games that's not enough so I did not even if Pascal Siakam's level of play warranted it he hadn't played he didn't play enough to qualify is the probably the right way to put it for me yeah so let's just talk through some of these guys here and you know paul george 16 games jimmy butler 13 games pascal 10 so I, uh, that's butler is kind of right on the cusp of being considered not being considered but he's, he's got 100 more minutes played than pascal zion williamson 15 games also hasn't really had like a ton of impact i would say like i'm not sure that new orleans has even been that much better with him on the floor they're uh 3.9 points were 100 better with him on the floor that's not an elite number demar Derozan is a forward you know he never gets hurt he's played 20 games brandon ingram is at 15 jalen braun and draymond green are at 19 so that's not disqualifying for them lebron is only 13 and quite frankly statistically does not have an argument uh the lakers have a negative 6.2 net rating when he's on the floor and they've actually been positive when he's been off the floor uh and then i threw in mikhail bridges and andrew wiggins as well i I, i'm not gonna ding the traditional uh, higher 
usage guys enough to where i'm going to consider bridges or wiggins as kind of more of this three and d i think wiggins hasn't been as good defensively this year either so those are some of the candidacies if you like epm paul george actually having played 16 games is he and jimmy butler are like a clear four and five in epm raptor those guys are up there as well pascal's in, in the mix but again the 10 games is probably just not enough for right now but you know paul george like his individual stat 58 true shooting 31 usage but the clippers haven't been very good offensively he's helped defensively he's been part of that but i, I think it's i don't know that he's like the reason that they're the number two defense right now so i guess i felt like i finally just have to default to DeRozan again as my second team all nba forward because he just doesn't he's the one guy that doesn't have any major weaknesses in this statistical resume right now i ended up going with butler as my second team player i, I think he's been very good when he's been able to play it's just that he hasn't played as much and if that's if that's the primary demerit then i'm going to go there and i know that like for example epm and after haven't been as big on his defense i think he's a significantly better defender than a lot of these guys and miami's overall defensive ecosystem has been a little bit weird to start this year in part because of player availability DeRozan definitely deserves serious consideration and like so you think about his role like somebody somebody else who's been very pot who's popular in the models is Lowry Markkanen and Markkanen deserves consideration he's been a part of this better than expected jazz team but he just doesn't have the same size role within his team's offense as DeMar DeRozan does so DeRozan's let's use Seth's uh, total usage 40.8 that 40.8 is more in line with somebody like Jalen Brown or Zion Williamson and then Markkanen's all the way down at 28 so then the argument that you're making is that either that right. a 4.3 percent playmaking he basically has been exclusively a play finisher for the Jazz right and so so the argument is based for for Markkanen who I have in the also considered is is that he's either so much better defensively or has been so much better as a as a scorer than those players and I don't think that's quite fair so so yeah. I ended up he does have the second highest true shooting yes i'm sorry third highest true shooting of any of these candidates uh draymond green interesting enough is 66 percent true shooting this year yeah and draymond doesn't he doesn't take a ton of bad shots but he also doesn't take a ton of shots total the reason his role is high is because of that playmaking usage the flow of the warriors offense which he is an important part of and I'll say that, like, for me, in part because the Warriors' defense, either when he's been on the floor overall, just hasn't been at the same level. Like, I I didn't have Draymond Green in this as much as I thought that he hasn't had as strong of a case. So I ended up going Butler on the second team, George and DeRozan on the third. Yeah, I guess I'll ultimately... I need to just default to who I think are the best guys here with and Butler and George clearly to me are just better than the other guys on this list and I think Draymond we'll see where Golden State is at the end of the season I think he has definitely been a, a part of their success he also now is like basically stabilized their whole second unit where it actually works now because they put him in there sure that, that's something to consider and you know, they're still I mean obviously he's got his minutes tethered to Steph which is a big reason but he he's really helping their offense uh, as well he, he's quite key to what they're doing when he missed time like their offense did take a big step back last year I think at least in the context of this team which is how we're measuring him we're not this isn't top 10 players in the NBA where like okay what would you be like in various different contexts like this is just evaluating what he's done this year in the context that he's in like he's been a very positive offensive player for them and also their defense has been much more respectable when he's been on the floor so I, I 
I'm not going to, I would have him probably in my also considered, I just want to kind of see, it's just been such a weird start to the season for Golden State, which, you know, punching your teammate in the face is probably has something to do with that, quite frankly, but they've been trying, you know, working in the James Wiseman minutes and all that, like that's, it's really kind of messed things up. So I'm willing to kind of give he and Curry more of a benefit of the doubt although curry doesn't really need it frankly uh, uh based on what they've been in the past as well so i think yeah i'll stick with DeRozan, and yeah i, I like butler ultimately and george with green as an also considered what about jalen bronze candidacy uh, any any support for him is it just that he's not very good in the impact metrics the yeah, it, raptor and epm it's interesting so like? butler or sorry not butler brown he if, if you're considering like partners Total usage, he has a larger role within the Celtics offense than Jimmy Butler does on the Heat, for example, and he's been similarly efficient. He's actually a little bit below Jimmy Butler in terms of true shooting, 60.4 versus 61.7, but still above league average. And part of it for me is just that the Celtics haven't been haven't been great defensively, and they've been actually pretty bad defensively when Brown's been on the floor. Um, I don't blame him for that, but I also don't give him as much credit, you know, so so he doesn't get that. And and yeah, it is it is a consideration for me that the for whatever reason, both um, EPM and Raptor are very low on Jalen Brown's candidacy. And I, I, res- I respect both of them as models. So, yeah, I think he's I think he's in this mix, but I don't think he's at the top of this mix. Okay, so let's go through it here one more time. My All-NBA guards, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic, first team. Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, second team. John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, third team. Also considered De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. And your only difference there was... Halliburton, Halliburton over Mitchell. That's it. Yeah. And then we're in agreement on the centers, Jokic first team, Embiid second team, AD third team. Mm -hmm. And then at forward, Tatum and Giannis first team. I have KD and DeRozan second team, Butler and George third team. And what is your lineup second and third team? I have Tatum and Durant first team, Giannis and Butler second team, George and DeRozan third team. Yeah, also, I also, also considered, I mean, you could go through a bunch of guys. Yeah, but Brown and, Dr- and Draymond Green were my chief also considered there as well. Usual absolute marathon to get through MVP and All-NBA, which it's always going to be harder on the first one of the year because we, we want to be a little bit more inclusive. Where do you want to go next year? Uh, I mean... I, I don't think any of the other ones have quite the same sizzle. Uh, let's let's go to Defensive Player of the Year. It's a bizarre campaign in that oh, I think a lot of the there are a lot of wonderful defensive teams, but in part because I think some of them are built on shooting luck. I definitely don't want to give credit in those circumstances. Shout out the Philadelphia 76ers being third in defense right now. But then significant part that is because opponents are shooting below 33% on threes against them as opposed to normal. Um, So actually, I think the field is reasonably good, but I don't think it's like jaw droppingly. And it's also a little bit disappointing for me because I think some of the players that generally are in this mix just haven't quite been. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, want to find out who you're referring to there i guess rudy gobert would be the one that sticks out to me why is bam not in it well he's in it but i don't think i don't i mean the heat defense hasn't been amazing and anything like anything like that so 107 and a half when he's on that's pretty yeah i guess that's true yeah he's he's in the he's in the also considered for sure so i I mean i think the story defensively you said there are a lot of wonderful defenses i'm kind of like i was i was being i was speaking more poetically than actually (laughs) Because I think there's really only been one defense that's 
stood out i thought when i ranked the defenses at the start of the year who i thought i could be really would be really good i thought boston golden state would be really good that's not been the case for either of those teams so far but the milwaukee bucks have been unbelievable and even though they've cooled a little bit they do have a 107 defensive rating which is 2.1 points per 100 better than the second best team and they're not even necessarily doing it with a ton of shooting luck they're doing it by walling off the rim but they're also reducing the number of three-pointers that they're giving up and so to me the two best candidates come from the Milwaukee Bucks and particularly because when you look at the on off now this is a little bit let's see let me get it on nba.com so we're working with all the same numbers here on nba.com the overall bucks defensive rating is 106.5 they're a point better than the cavaliers who are second what i was just giving you before is cleaning the glass that filters out garbage time however the on off defensive rating stuff is easier to get on nba.com so we use that on our trusty spreadsheet that dan helped us put together and Brooke Lopez, the Bucks have a 102.5 defensive rating when he's on the floor. Giannis Antetokounmpo, they have a 101.8 defensive rating when he's on the floor. And they're about six points worse for either of those players when they're on the floor. I, I, this is one where it's hard for me to say, hey, just based on this year, we don't watch every single game. Defense, this is, this is always the hardest one for me to do anyway, I would sure. say. We don't watch every single game of every team defensive stats are as bad as it gets uh, um in the sets universe of really describing what's going on i find it easier to use stats for big men than for smalls i generally think that smalls just cannot have a defensive player of the year level of effect well and especially How's especially Marcus can't it, see this year by the way especially when we're talking about it in the macro sense like in a specific yeah. game og and anobi had that awesome performance against donovan mitchell on monday we talked about that praised it hey yeah. we don't get yeah, to see right. If you have if you have eight steals in a game or something as a perimeter guy, okay, but right, but those, but even like you know, it's sort of like when we talk about the young guys and they have one huge game and then they have a couple other ones, then they have another couple games like OG Ananobi. We happen to be recording this part after the NBA strategy stream game where he didn't really do much defensively. The Pelicans ran through them, and that is a fundamental limitation. Whereas Brook Lopez is always going to be in the mix for the Milwaukee Bucks because that's the nature of basketball. Yeah, it's just you can't, as a perimeter player, have an effect on every play just about the way you do as a big. And, oh, if you put your this guy on your best offensive player, well, there's this thing called a screen, particularly with the increasing prevalence of small, small pick and rolls that a lot of teams are just going to switch, that having that one guy on the perimeter to lock down it's just not as impactful, I think, as it potentially used to be. So, yeah, generally going to default towards bigs. And also, I think there is something to history here where sure. because and even locking in on the playoffs. And yes, you know, guys don't defend the exact same way in the playoffs as they do in the regular season. But just to have an idea of who overall the best defender is, like I, I kind of regress back to my previous impressions on guys, maybe a little bit more, particularly early in the season like this where shooting luck can be playing a large role miss games the context around you schedule all of that but i do think 
the Bucks have been so far above where everyone else has been so far this year that it's got to be one of those two guys. I just struggled to determine who it was going to be. It, it is hard to apportion credit between Lopez and Antetokounmpo in part because they're both so great and because generally speaking, well, they've been the Bucks have been ridiculous. 99.1 defensive rating when both Lopez and Giannis have been on the floor, and and that's largely it's largely earned that they're you know they're doing all the math problem stuff right there, including allowing just 60 percent at the rim. And they, I, I gave Lopez the number one spot in part because you know I I, try, I I lean a little bit on the metrics and I you know I've watched the Bucks a fair amount but I haven't watched them a ridiculous portion and he's done a really good job he's a more frequent rim rim protector so Lopez contests. 8.2 shots per 36 minutes. Giannis can test 4.1. Yeah, and this is, this is so actually let, let's just take a beat here, Danny, and just go through some of the stats that we are going to be referring to for uh, to evaluate defense here. So we've got defensive EPM, defensive Raptor. We've got just the team defensive rating when the player is on and off the floor. We've got the rim contest. This is using the tracking data. So field goal percentage allowed at the rim when within five feet of the player who's shooting within five feet of the rim and also contests by that definition per 36 minutes. What else did we look at? Uh, deflections per 36 minutes. And then we, we include team defensive rating on and off, but we try to temper that with shooting luck. So we have opponent three point percentage while that specific player is on the floor. And then, you know, the classic defensive rebounds, steals and blocks, like all that, all that kind of stuff as well. And yeah. And the team's defensive rebounding were there on the floor yes. as well, which is a, another important thing for someone like Lopez, who In is particular. more of a, a box out artist. I mean, for sure. Brooke Lopez is, for example, his individual defensive rebound percentage is quite low for a center, 12.2%. But, oh, surprisingly enough, the guy right next to him, Giannis, gets uh, 26.6% of available defensive rebounds. And right. a big part of that is because Brooke Lopez boxes his man out. Um so yeah, also, I mean, I think like Brooke Lopez has probably been the best rim protector in the NBA. Would you agree with that? I I would agree, but my number two has a credible argument for it as well, and that is Jared Allen. And Jared Allen, for whatever reason, not particularly loved by the box score models right now. But I mean, a when I watch the Cavs and well, no, that's not, that's not true. He's uh, uh, second he? in defensive EPM. Oh, he is okay. Maybe it was Raptor that wasn't as high on it. Yeah, maybe. Raptor is not is not as high. Uh, Raptor is loving what Brook Lopez is doing this year. Yes, they are. But but so when you look at Jared Allen, so a couple a couple of things that I think are really telling. Um, they've been great at the big man defensive elements, protecting the rim not fouling whether Evan Mobley has been on the floor with Jared Allen or not, which is a good tell that it's mostly that at least for right now, Jared Allen is a bigger part of it than Evan Mobley. And included in that, the Cavs have a 91.4 cleaning the glass defensive rating when Jared Allen is on the floor and Mobley is not. Though important to note in those lineups, though not overall, opponents are shooting really poorly from three. So there's an important context where when you're when you narrow the sample size, variance becomes a larger factor. And then if you want to go in terms of the rim protection numbers, Jared Allen, he contests fewer shots, far fewer actually, than than Brooke Lopez does. He's about 5.8 per 36 minutes. But opponents are only shooting 49.4% on the times he contests. That's actually better than Lopez, but the frequency does matter. And like, I mean, there are other guys with frequency, like you could, I think if memory serves, Miles Turner has a strong case in that respect, but their defense has been generally pretty bad. So that's not all of it. 
Well, they've been above average when he's been on the floor, Turner. Given the rest of their personnel, I think that's pretty good. I mean, Turner, you do have to give a shout-out to the rim-protecting season. He's had Seth, but yes. he comes out with his rim-protection numbers. I'm sure Turner's going to be massive because, number one, Turner is contesting 11.2 shots per 36 minutes. That I don't recall ever seeing a number that high before in that statistic. And the field goal percentage allowed at the rim is not that high, 57%. But another thing we look at is just what is the opposing team shooting at the rim when the player is on the floor, and that's 59%. That's basically the lowest number of any big man in this group. And the other thing we look at is what percentage of shots are opponents taking at the rim. That's where the Bucks guys really shine, and yes. having two of those guys is great. Uh, and it, when the player's on the floor, the Bucks guys, are they're basically... A, the Bucks allow 28% of opponent shots at the rim, which is just a crazy low number. And by contrast, the Pacers with Miles Turner on the floor are allowing 38% of opponent shots at the rim, which is a high number, but they're yeah. stopping a lot of them. And that's because their scheme is let's pressure on the perimeter and just force everyone into Miles Turner. So a lot to be said there. But I think, again, when you just look at the overall Bucks defensive form, I mean, when these guys are on the floor, the of these realistic candidates and you've got the bucks basically duo in the 102 range when they're on the floor jared allen is a 104 that's not bad and then there's really nobody else among the realistic candidates that's anywhere close to there except for joel Embiid. but as you noted well first of all joel's only played 13 games but secondly opponents are shooting 30.7 percent from three when he's on the floor which is not his doing and so he and still that uh defensive on number is not as good as the Bucks guys. Sure. So I, I give I, I give a credit to what Joel Embiid has done so far. It's been encouraging, but I don't you, again, we're you have to give a lot of understanding to the importance that opponent three point shooting has had. So yeah, I went I went Brooke one, Jared Allen two, Giannis three. I have zero opposition to having Giannis at two. I have zero opposition to Giannis being one, to be completely honest there. And then other guys to kind of consider and praise. I will give the models a little bit of deference with OG. He's been great forcing turnovers. That has been a real strength in his game. I'm I'm not going to say he's been more valuable than these other players, but I do want to acknowledge the season that he has had. And then, you know, Bam's had a good year. I put him in also considered. I, I didn't know what to do with Draymond Green, but I had him in also considered as well, just because I think he's consistently one of the best defenders. Yeah, that's another one where let's kind of see how things play out a little bit. He definitely, to me, should have been defensive player of the year last year before he got hurt. He was, to me, the best defensive player in the playoffs, maybe aside from Giannis. Although Giannis had such a big offensive load, as it, oh, it was difficult for him. Can I make one quick, one quick weird point about OG Ananobi? And this is why I was so surprised to see EPM as enthusiastic as it was. Is that the Raptors have actually had a stingier defense when he's been off the floor, and that's just a little bit like it, it's yeah. a little bit. Strange. I, I think EPM is probably more focused on the box score at this point in the season. And I think it the, might be the on-off becomes a larger component yeah. as time goes on. Whereas and and also Raptors like OG more, is yeah. doing the, the the box score things really well. Like his steal rate has been fantastic yeah i actually had bam third you know 107.5 defensive rating when his team is on the floor he's played 657 minutes already which is the most uh, of these candidates other than og and anobi and I'm, i like og and anobi i'm sorry he's, he's just he's not a big man like he just d doesn't have the same impact like i that's i don't care what epm says on that one yeah and we were and we've been consistent with that over the years yeah uh so yeah, Bam would be number three for me. And that's another one where just going back like, hey, I just know how good this guy is. And there's nothing in the numbers to indicate, to me at least, that he hasn't been as good this season. So 
uh you know he plays a different role certainly uh, on the heat than some of the traditional rim protectors do which, I, which I, does I, make it hard to quantify i think that's part of why i turned to jared allen over bam is that jared yeah. allen's case is just easy for me to understand yeah and i think i mean I, i'm just particularly at this early point in the season if the numbers for jared allen are this good all season like he's just not a guy when i watch and also just historically that's been in the same class as these other players and sure if he keeps this up statistically all year, then I'll have to give him another look. Rudy Gobert, just so we have it here, his field goal percentage allowed at the rim, much higher than it normally is, 59%, only contesting 7.1 shots at the rim, which is much lower than it's been for him historically. He is helping to hold down the number of shots at the rim, but not, again, as much as he normally does the overall opponent shooting percentage at the rim when he's in the game is still slightly under 60%. So that's pretty good. Uh, he is not helping nearly as much on the defensive glass. The opponents are getting 29% offensive rebounds when he's on the floor now. And so whether it's just the system, whether it's playing next to Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, just not being as comfortable, the lack of chemistry, whatever it is, he just is, he's helped them. He's helped them a lot, but it hasn't been quite to the same level as it was in Utah. And that show, I mean, an EPM, for example, Rudy Gobert is actually negative in defensive EPM, though he's higher in Raptor. Sure. So uh, I ultimately went with Brooke Lopez, number one, Giannis two, Adebayo three. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Where do you want to go from here? Coach of the year. This one is always, it seems to have the most candidates. It's the most subjective of any of these. I try to go less towards the whole, hey, who's exceeding preseason expectations the most and getting a an untalented team to be decent. I'm more trying to look at what's the system, how is the team playing, who I think is just adding the most. I don't penalize, say, Mike Budenholzer because you start to price in just that they're well-coached and they're going to exceed their talent level uh, on defense. I don't, I don't know if they're even doing that anymore, but uh, I mean, obviously Budenholzer got a lot out of Brooke Lopez now that we kind of take Brooke Lopez for granted, but it, let's remember that Mike Budenholzer did get him to play this way. So uh, I also went with Joe Missoula number one though i'm i'm fine with that missoula is is um i have him as a highly also considered just because the celtics haven't been that great on defense and generally speaking i think of and they've played relative i think they played reasonable yeah. relative talent level. Uh, i just, think it's just the way that they're playing on offense is sure. really i don't know how much of it is. i mean also just the difficult circumstances he came in on with the yudoka who is really beloved leaving the team holding them together emotionally they're by far the best team in the nba they're Play, they're sharing the ball much more they're just their offense just looks better they're playing much smarter their turnover rate is way down and yeah the individual players deserve a lot of credit for that but i think also that he and his staff have really 
help them get better but offensively. The other thing that Missoula didn't do, which is not his fault, but that other coaches have dealt with that is catnip for me for coach of the year, and I admit that this might be my flaw, a flaw as an analyst, is dealing with unexpected circumstances. So like one of the coaches who's high on my list is Doc Rivers. And again, I've talked yeah. about how I think their defensive rating is fool's, is fool's gold. But dealing with in-season absences of important players that force you to reevaluate and adjust your team, like, I think of that as just a really hard thing for a coach to do. And building a system like the way, for example, Will Hardy has done, who is in my also considered, is, is good, but generally the Jazz have been pretty healthy. And so I have Doc one right now, not because I think he's the best coach in the NBA. I certainly do not. But they've had to deal with each of their three best players missing time and missing time at the same time and still been pretty good. And like that, to me, that's basically the hardest thing a coach can do against the caliber of talent that you face game to game in the NBA. Yeah, Doc was in my my also considered. Uh, I'll just throw out the rest of my universe here. Sure. Monty Williams, Chris Paul, they've, uh, I won't say they've gotten nothing from him, but He's missed like half the season now and certainly not at anywhere close to his usual standards before that. And I mean, their offense and their top five in offense and defense again. And we're just, we look at this team and we're like, hey, what? They don't have and, have this much talent to be the And their, ba- their backup the center is Jock Landale, who I wasn't even sure was going to be in. The, I thought they acquired him be, to be, to just be kind of nice. You know, like to, it was a small guarantee contract and he's been their backup center. Like I give money and now of course, Jock Landale, plenty of credit for that. Right, and also just holding this team together emotionally after the DeAndre Ayton thing, after DeAndre Ayton's comment that he hadn't talked to him, after the disappointment of the Game 7 last year, the Robert Sarver incident, uh, all that stuff, he... Whether DeAndre Ayton likes him or not, he's producing, and the team is producing, and so he's just... Every year, they're just really good, and I'm not gonna discount him just because hey, they're really good again, and they were good last year. Like, he was a big part of it last year. He's a big part of this year. This year. For sure. Um, another coach who is who is in this mix is, for me, is Rick Carlisle. And Carlisle and Nick Nurse, and I gave Nick Nurse a lot of credit for this last year. Something that I like about their job is that they were given an unusual set of circumstances and made specific decisions to to maximize that. And so that was Nick Nurse last year. The Raptors didn't have a great half-court offense. So they did these other things, pushing the ball hard in transition, going after the offensive glass that fit their personnel and that made them more viable. And for Rick Carlisle, that is pushing the pace. That is having one of the lowest time to shot in the league despite having a pretty shitty defense. And I don't blame Rick Carlisle for their defense being shaky. They just have mediocre defensive talent other than Miles Turner. And so they haven't dealt with the, you know, I called it the catnip of the what Doc Rivers has where they've just had, I mean, they have had some guys go out. But generally speaking, it's just that they're not as talented. And the fact that the Pacers haven't have a positive net rating at this point is genuinely impressive. This isn't a fool's gold team that's outperforming their differential dramatically situation. They've just been good. And I think Rick Carlisle's job is a part of that. Yeah, well, I know you put together the stats on this before tonight. They just lost by 23, so they now have a negative net rating. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah I, I mean they, they've still been very good and, and i think a lot of it is you know getting we've kind of been like hey you're not starting ben matherin what like he's not one of your five best players but he's gotten great production out of him andrew nembart as the starting shooting guard is really produced that's a guy who's unheralded that they've gotten a, a lot out of miles turner is having his best season and 
so yeah i've been very impressed by what carlisle's done he's up there for me as well uh will hardy we've talked plenty about how good that offensive system has been and how they've kind of taken these misfit toys and gotten good team chemistry and a great fit offensively uh willie green is someone who i think is probably not being talked about enough at this point the pels are five games over 500 they wax the raptors tonight plus 5.7 net rating that's tied for fourth in the nba six on offense fifth on defense and I, I don't think that can sustain that fifth on defense but uh he's getting these guys to play together really well still a little too much Devonte graham and naji marshall and maybe even Jonas valanciunas for my liking but they are deep they've actually had a ton of absences too like brandon ingram's right. only played like half the year and cj has been out with COVID. he's missed like uh, two weeks now almost is, is gonna be and zion missed a couple of games they're reintegrating zion into this group and i mean they're playing with great spirit the vibes are awesome and i think they're they're looking like they could be really good i have no anyone else you're you had in there uh i you you alluded to him but i just want to make explicit that mike budenholzer has done a really good job with this with this bucks team as well like i mean another they've been elite defensively without that many great defensive players drew holidays missed a section of the season chris middleton hasn't played at all and so i I, I don't think that Bud will get that much consideration from our colleagues, even though the Bucks have been the, I, I believe they're currently third in net rating this year, but he's been, he's done a really good job. Yeah. I would also throw Mike Braun in there. Sure. And JB Bickerstaff, another guy where he's been overshadowed by the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell, but this team is still defending really well, despite the fact that they've had a, a fair number of absences. And they have these small guards on the perimeter. And Donovan Mitchell, he's getting more out of him defensively, getting more out of Karis LeVert. Defensively, they've done some creative stuff with the two bigs, despite the fact that Evan Mobley isn't shooting it at all. And they definitely have some structural issues. You know, they've still been very good and they're fifth in the NBA in net rating as well. I ultimately went Missoula one, Monty Williams two, Will Hardy three. But obviously, as is always the case, any of these candidates would be deserving, particularly at this early point in the year. Yeah, I went Doc Rivers one, Rick Carlisle two, Joe Missoula three. But there are there are like nine that are fantastic candidates and I'm not going to bang the drum too hard. Uh, let's go to rookie of the year. And it's it always feels like it's a stranger because a, por- a part of what you're doing for rookie of the year is you're trying to identify players who have been positive, wh- whether that's in a large role or a small role, should they exist? And they're like the obvious cream of the crop. And then once you get past them, you're like, which blemish is most tolerable? I guess is probably the way to put it. And full credit to how wonderful last year's class was when you had Evan Mobley and Franz Wagner and Scotty Barnes who won, even though I don't think either of us picked him to, to deserve it. But they, there were a lot of guys who were positive players or at least staying close to that. To me, there were only two players that kind of fill that bar right now as being like positive players on teams and that have really done it. And in no particular order, those are Benedict Matherin and Paolo Bancaro. I think both of them, you can make that as a clear argument that they have helped out their teams. Bancaro, 38.9 total usage. That's Seth Partnow's version of the stat. 30% usage if you're using like the basketball reference version. 55% shooting is actually slightly below average. But when you consider the additional challenges of their limited spacing and their limited guard availability, I think that has been extremely impressive for Bancaro. And then Ben Matherin, it's in some ways more of a traditional case. He is not the primary ball handler, but 59% true shooting, 42% from three. And he hasn't been great defensively, but he's been fine enough. This is your annual reminder that rookies suck. Yes. 
one rookie has a positive EPM who's played significant minutes. Uh, that's Paolo Bancaro. And then Matherin is actually slightly in the negative, negative 0.3 EPM. Interestingly, Shaden Sharp, who I actually think has been fine, has a negative 6.1 EPM right now, which is but it's a, But it's a plus, but Nate, it's a plus 6.1 in our hearts. <laughs> Anyway, he, he didn't figure he, he's you know really been a bench guy. But yeah, it, when you just look at how many of these players actually are even like helping you win games at all, you know, so especially guys who are high usage rookies, you know, you've got Jaden Ivey, who's at 52% true shooting, 35% total usage. And, you know, he's just he, not really helping you. Like he's not a positive player. The Pistons have been terrible uh, so far this year. Uh, and there are only even four of these rookies who have a traditional usage over 20%. And one of them is Tari Eason, who should not have a traditional usage over 20%. Like If he were just lower by him and just took some threes and wasn't shooting like negative 40% on twos, he might have actually been my number three. Finding a number three was exceedingly difficult. Uh, I did go with Mathurin number one with Paolo oh, having missed some time. You went with Mathurin over Paolo. Okay. Yeah, for for now, I think that may change. Paolo's efficiency has kind of gone down, especially since he came back. I do, when I think it's a tie, I will try to default to who I think is the better prospect. Like it is rookie of the year. It's not not necessarily okay who actually helped their team the most. Like just because of what I said with this, rookies so rarely do that. I, I'm I don't try to focus on that quite as much as just like this is most valuable rookie right now. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of less interesting. In Though I do ways. think like, it's yeah. interesting that on that criteria, you picked Matherin over Bankara. Yeah, well, it's just, I think it's that he's played more. He's on a winning team. Um, you know, his his efficiency is above average. I mean, Paolo, while he's put had more put on his plate than he really should at this point in time, he has been below average in true shooting. He has turned it over more than average. He's got the worst uh, turnover usage on this list, and that's even... When you consider that he's got a, a high scoring and playmaking usage per set stat. So, uh, number three was impossible. I guess you had Paulo number one. I had Paulo one, Matherin two. And I, I consider just not having a three because I don't think anybody <laughs> deserves it. I ended up yeah, going you, with- you went with the Cleveland approach, just not having a three? Yes, I did. <laughs> Shout out to Isaac Okoro. And instead, I ended up going with Keegan Murray just because at times he's been a positive player in the yeah. aggregate, probably not. But, you know, playing playing a modest role on a successful team. And Jaden Ivey, like, he he does have the, the other version that I sometimes look for of being like, he has a lot to do. He hasn't been doing it super well, but at least he's had a lot to do. But the problem is Ivy, he hasn't quite been good enough at that. Like, I think I think you have to be close to like league average true shooting or like in the ballpark of that, even but 52 percent there. And yeah, he hasn't been, been a negative player. It's really hard yeah. for me to put a negative player. Right. And so at, uh, to me, Keegan third. Murray has he's been asked to do a, a fair amount on the Kings and he's done okay so I'm, I'm yeah, gonna put and, and he there. had a, he at least had a good stretch Kevin O'Connor made this point today that he had a back injury missed a game and since he's come back he's really struggled so maybe that's, oh, that's a good it, point that's bothering him but I went with Jalen Williams from OKC at third I think he's just he had a really good game tonight <laughs> yes high you know he's been on the floor for a team that's been decent at the end he's made some decent plays at the end of games I don't think he's been like actively hurting them in any way on either end EPM is not in love with him epm actually has him like second to last of these high minute guys i i, I will Raptor say this like also, but aj griffin jabari keegan tari eason like the avenue is here not only for you to get uh to get on the all, rookie of the year ballot but to get on first team all rookie like there are spaces right now 
Speaking of that, sophomore of the year, we were so enthused about this rookie class. And now that they're sophomores, really been pretty disappointed. Like there isn't really none of these guys I think are anywhere close to being playing at an all-star level right now. Uh Agreed. like they're really I mean, I would say almost all of them, all of the main guys from last year have had what I would consider to be disappointing seasons. Would you agree with that? I mean, who is maybe Franz and and Evan Mobley is as good as ever defensively, but he hasn't taken the step forward we hope for with him on offense. Well, I will I will note on this. I was I was being a little bit more skeptical. I first of all, I agree with your central premise. I, I'm acknowledging that. But Evan Mobley, he's gone from 55 percent shooting to 58. Like that's that's nice. Like that's a it's a positive. It yeah. is a healthier offensive environment. And Mobley has not done it by stretching out on the floor. He's done it by making more of his twos. And really, honestly, that's more of like the floater range twos than like being dominant around the basket. But that's good. And Mobley's, I wish he was getting to the line more. Like, that's actually not something that's changed for him at all. But yeah, but the, the hope was maybe this guy is going to take a leap with his talent to where he's starting to look like you know he could be a real like offensive star you know all right he was a sport player last year yes they got mitchell but and he could do more he's had a few moments where he's posted up and done stuff but but you know overall we haven't really seen and, and he doesn't necessarily have the same type of athleticism as like you know a kg or an anthony davis like the type of guys who if you really believe in mobley's upside you're starting to think that he, he could be someone like that uh but yeah i mean it's just it hasn't it's not even like oh he's been terrible this year not even that he's not improved but you expect some improvement the fact that none of these guys have popped to look like oh this is a for sure future all nba guy this year i find very disappointing i do too hopefully that's going to come over the course of the year and maybe maybe some of the challenges and also i don't think any of the best guys played summer league which is standard but you know we didn't really have a lot and also, there haven't been any guys that have really blown up from a smaller role. Like I think Trey Murphy has jumped up in stock. He's doing really well. He's hitting a shot. Shangun is is doing reasonably well in a larger role with the Rockets this year than he had last year. But none of them have moved into that oh shit conversation either. So yeah, I agree with you. I so I ended up going Mobley one, Franz Wagner two, Scotty Barnes three. But I don't. I wish somebody had either one of those guys or somebody else had really made me made me swoop. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm not buying it by Scotty Barnes. Like every time I watch him, he's just getting completely blown by. Like, yeah, he's got some point forward skills. That's great. But he's also 50% true shooting. And it's not even because he's shooting terribly from three either. Like his two point shooting has been extremely yeah. disappointing. He's actually been adequate from three. And I mean, I still again, he's got these the upside and and could be a lot better but again there are people who are thinking like like i'm certainly not seeing this we there's no fucking way we can trade this guy for kevin durant so far this year like yeah that's a possible outcome but he has done nothing this year to me to prove that he's like you know a future all nba type of guy in the stats or even frankly watching he's had some like a few impressive dunks few impressive passes but nothing that's really blown me away uh, i actually went with jalen green as my number three with mobley one wagner two and wagner seems like he's on the path, he attacks the rim relentlessly. I wish he was shooting better than 31% from three. If he's going to ever like really be an all-star, 
he's got to become at least league average from three and defensively he's, he's been up and down i don't know that he's like an impact defender but i think he's like good enough to hold up at those wing positions and jalen green this is one where maybe i'm even kind of more defaulting back to my rookie approach your, of just who i think the best prospect yeah. is going to be like like he's at least had some really good games like uh, most of the reason why he's not good in the impact metrics is because of the defense and i think he's gotten a little bit better there obviously he's not any good rookie or sophomore shooting guards like him usually aren't any good on defense but i think if he wouldn't kill you if you put him in the right situation which uh the houston rockets starting lineup most assuredly is not so yeah i would go jalen green uh, over scotty barnes um but yeah really disappointing for this obviously Cade cunningham with the shin and his performance before that sure know, didn't really deserve to be in this conversation six man there isn't anybody that at least you could correct me if you disagree in the six man conversation right now that fills the the duality that you and i really love which is a valued player who also can close game like who closes games for you like Iguodala did that in the past. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think I will correct you. Uh, Larry Nance. That he's, yeah, and Nance is my number he, two. He's actually that. my number one. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, I mean, he, the other thing, too, is like it, there's it's another bad six man crop here. You know, the highest EPM for any six man candidate is Kevin Love at 1.8, but he's not closing games. He uh, has only played 331 minutes which is low Nance is at 404 but even that's only 22 minutes a game Bruce Braun is someone who he's started some games too uh but who probably deserves to be in this especially as well as he's shooting the ball from three at 38.5 percent although it's not a huge volume and I'll shout out Cameron Payne who has done a lot of his work as a starter but he's been valuable for the Suns and part of well he's technically not eligible as of now right oh because because of the starts that he's had you're right that he's he's over 56 percent right now but my number one was Malcolm Brogdon and Brogdon 38.3 percent total usage 62 percent true shooting has been a part of the league's best offense and Brogdon's drive game it's not the biggest reason we're talking six men of the year, but it has been a positive. So for me, it was a tough call between Brogdon and Nance. Nance is a part of, in my opinion, the Pelicans best five, whereas Brogdon is not. But he's asked to do a lot offensively and generally speaking, like just like I did last year, I'm going to lean a little bit more heavily on that, though I seriously considered Nance. Yeah, and Christian Wood, people might ask, where is he? And he's averaging 26 minutes a game, 65% true shooting, 28 usage. You know, that's pretty good. But yep. again, not a guy who's closing games. It's just not someone that Jason Kidd trusts defensively. Yeah, I mean, it really, to me, was between Nance and Brogdon. I actually had Ben Matherin, number three. Ooh, Matherin not loved by the, I, I, I believe, by by the box score models. But that's not a huge surprise. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm fine. I, I mean, Matherin he's, he's my does have, consider. yeah, Matherin has the highest points per game. And I pretty close to the highest minutes per game of any of these guys, particularly considering that he has not actually started any games. And 59% true shooting, 27 usage, 42% from three, 5.8 three-point attempts per 36 minutes, which actually you'd think it'd be a little bit higher than that for the way he's shooting it but he's also getting to the basket well I think he's been for a rookie at least pretty decent defensively like he's contributed on a winning team but yeah I mean there just isn't really that guy like Hero is coming uh, is starting now Jordan Poole is one of the most disappointing players sure. this season and to the extent he actually has been good it's been the games that he started uh so that the, you know he may come on uh he's definitely played a lot of minutes uh, compared to the rest of this group so uh Malik Beasley is someone who probably needs to be in this conversation as well he's been really good he actually leads 
no, I'm sorry, Max Struess actually leads this group in minutes. He's a, another guy who would be in consideration. And if he were shooting a little bit closer to 40% on threes, he might be up at the top for me. So yeah, not a not a particularly impressive six-man group though so far this year. I mean, again, the, the, that EPM, there's five guys coming off the bench that have a higher than 1.0 EPM. So what was your, do... who is your number three? Kevin Love. Okay. But Matherin's a totally worthy pick. Okay, now we get into... Our interesting picks here that we, or at least we think they're interesting because we came up with these categories. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Biggest surprise player. Obviously, this is going to be a larger universe. There's a, a subjective component to this. And it is not most improved, to be clear. Yes. Yeah, we do not do most improved until the end because it's just that so reliant on shooting and a very rigorous statistical analysis that it, you just it's too hard to do it until the end of the season. Right. And so for me, I, I, I it's funny. It's a question in the off the kind of the real GM podcast that I do during the offseason. The way I love, one of the ways I like to think about it is who is the player that we're talking about most differently now than we were before the season. And it is also important to note for me, as was the case last year when I picked John Morant for ended up for most improved, but also he was in this is that not all improvements are created equal. So if you are getting into a rarefied air like all NBA or in certain cases MVP, that is that is a more important jump, even if it's not as big in terms of like if you want to think about it like 2K rating or something like that. But getting into that rarefied air is there, and that's how my number how my choice got there, and that's Shea Gilders Alexander. Yeah, I guess I to me with Shay, I this is not like I guess I just had a higher opinion of him before. Like I, I believe that this was at least possible for him. It, it was possible, but I mean, season. this is this is over thirty points a game, and he, the Thunder being yeah. credible offensively when he's been on the floor, despite not improving the rest of their offensive talent. Like that's a really impressive double for for Shea. Like it's, I mean, he he's a legitimate All NBA player. You and I both had him second team. Like I thought it was possible, but he wasn't this last year. Fair. Fair. Yeah, I guess I kind of just think of him as more of a most improved than biggest surprise. I guess I, that seems like there certainly be some overlap there, but it's a little bit different. It just is like, because biggest surprise to me is like, holy fuck, where did this come from? So Whereas I'm assuming like, when so I I'm talked gonna, about Shea before, I was like, you know, he might just be really good and he's been in this terrible situation in OKC. And like I was was open to the possibility that he might be just as good as some of these other guards like Mitchell, etc. 
Brad Beal in past years, Booker, and he's just he's proven that. Like I just I I he was in my honorable mentions. Um, my number one is Larry Markkinen. I mean that's that's, that's the one two. where like he's playing at an all star level, and that was just I thought he was just a throw in in that trade. Like I didn't really I thought I mean he's like a, he's like a bad starter to me. Markkinen's two point finishing is really impressive. The role that he plays, even if it's primarily as a play finisher on Utah, like Will Hardy deserves credit for maximizing it, but Larry Markkinen deserves credit for for being that guy. And it's been very impressive for sure. I, I want to mention a couple other players, though. One of them is Bull Bull. And yeah, he was his, my number two. His transition from and I like that you you pushed me on this earlier in the season that he has transitioned from curio into legit NBA player. Like that is really impressive for a player who's been in the league for multiple years. Like that is not it's not generally an arc that we see, and he's been very useful for can, can the we Orlando get Magic. Some of his stats, by the way, Bull Bull. Sure, absolutely, Bull Bull. So Bull, yeah, go ahead. He's averaging, you know, if we want to do the kind of the raw counting stats, thirteen point five points, eight rebounds, two blocks third of a steal like that you know and he's been starting playing 27 minutes a game on the orlando magic yeah 67 percent true shooting for mm-hmm. bull bull and, and he's still taking some threes yeah. but he's actually been making them so far 2.7 per 36 making 40 42 percent of them yeah but 65 percent from two and like he's attacking the basket off the mm-hmm. dribble I mean, he's and again like the blocks seven percent two point block percentage like he's and just watching him too, I mean, like he he'll turn it over some, like he's trying to explore the studio space, but like you know he's dribbling the ball up the floor and like not getting it taken from him and actually making plays, and he can hold up in isolation on the perimeter a little bit defensively now. So yeah, I mean, I there's still a lot to navigate for him, but this is a guy who did he even play a minute last year. Yeah, he played 81. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, and he's second on the Magic in minutes. So, um, yeah, so then another one that I had, this one, I think you'll, I don't know if you'll agree with, you probably won't, but isn't this Brooke Lopez's age 35 season? And for him to still be this good, he's playing 31 minutes a game, which I think is the most he's played for the Bucks by far off the top of my head. Let me double check. This is his age 34 season. It's not impressive at all, but no, no, it's of course very impressive. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought I hadn't thought this, about him. This but that's is the word. most minutes per game that Brook Lopez has played since 2016. Some of these guys weren't even bored in 2016. Not true, but it feels <laughs> that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for him to be putting up a defensive player of the year caliber, you know, he had that back surgery last year. You're like, man, his age, like, is he even going to be able to come back? He was pretty good in the playoffs, and then to be probably having, I would say, his best season as a Buck and. By the way, he's also 41% from three this year. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I love Lopez. I, I feel I feel a little bit disappointed in myself that I'd include it. I want to mention three other established commodities that I think are having really good years and doing things differently than they have before. One is Kristaps Porzingis, like him playing at an all-NBA level and actually being on the floor. Like he's been great for the Wizards when he's been available. That's that's fantastic. Donovan Mitchell, like we wondered if he was going to be that guy, like if the, that's what Cleveland got, and he's been great. And then Miles Turner, a lot of this is the free throw drawing, but he's he's been a more impactful offensive player than I anticipated. So that's a pretty big surprise. My list, and anytime a guy who's turning 34 in April is putting up the best usage and efficiency season of all time, like I think maybe it's not a surprise because he had an unbelievable playoffs last year. But Stephen Curry, I mean, this has just been a ridiculous. We, we, we don't do we don't do the award anymore. But player who most beat regression is something we did at one point. And Steph Curry, yeah. his, he's lapped the field like five times over right now. 
Uh, Shay, you mentioned him. Desmond Bain taking another sure. leap forward. Sam Hauser, nobody had ever heard of him. He's has like 74% true shooting this year. Avica Zubac is having a really nice year. Dennis Smith Jr. has sure. uh, resurrected his career. He's actually playing at a, a, an all-defense type of level on the perimeter. Yuta Watanabe has reinvented himself as this amazing outside shooter and, and glue guy. Jock Landell, you mentioned him already. De'Aaron Fox uh, has uh, really taken a huge step forward this year. And uh, Tyrese Halberton as well. Yep. To be, you know, I don't think people saw him being playing at an all NBA level. Yeah, this year. I, I seem like yeah, it was too soon for, for sure. I think those are all all worthy choices. Most disappointing player. I actually didn't have as many candidates here, which is maybe because in part some of the most disappointing players this year have been players that you and I were already low on. So I'm not as disappointed. That has been the case. It. But I ended up again. I I didn't have a great field here. I didn't. I also maybe I didn't want to spend a ton of time thinking about this. But I ended up going with R.J. Barrett. Barrett. He's at fifty percent true shooting right now on twenty five usage. Negative value VORP value over replacement player. Negative BPM. And part of the reason why I picked Barrett is because we have given R.J. Barrett and other people have given him even more latitude because of the flawed roster construction and the Knicks are an imperfectly managed and an imperfectly coached team. All of that is fair. They added Jalen Brunson. They got a more, you know, a, a more favorable, though still unfavorable ecosystem. And R.J. Barrett's having a bad year. So that's disappointing to me. Yeah, and you, there was a hope with Barrett that maybe if he, he didn't have to do quite as much that he could be more efficient. But the concern, even going back to when he was drafted, is, well, in a smaller role, what enables him to be more efficient? And yeah, the ecosystem, the spacing is bad, but you just kind of wonder if he's not going to be a great outside shooter. He's reliant on getting to the basket where he hasn't been able to finish. I mean, that's the thing. Like if you were just on a different team where he could kind of work as like a mini Shea Gilgis Alexander who just puts a ton of pressure on the rim he he's not the finisher that Shea is he doesn't have the mid-range game or the escapability but to at least have a little room to finish because he is good at actually getting to the rim but he's not very good at finishing there and I think he'll be better later on I mean, to me it had to be Rudy Gobert though and like for him to not even be close to the defensive player of the year conversation right now mm-hmm. like I mean that's just not what they traded for like they traded for the defensive player of the year and uh, some of it is the entire team ecosystem and everyone there deserves some blame Carl Anthony Towns D'Angelo Russell Anthony Edwards should all really be in this discussion but to get this type of performance from a guy you gave up that package for and this is supposed to be the good year I and mean, when you just consider what the expectations were I, I think it's pretty clearly got to be Rudy Gobert to me I'm totally fine with that he was my number two and I didn't think there were any real big standouts I had Edwards in here because guess who's going to be my most disappointing team and then I also included Jordan Poole and Tim Hardaway Jr but neither of them I'm not I'm not the I my dander is not up for them so well I already expressed my disappointment in some of the 2021 class I would put Scotty Barnes there I mean for again that true shooting percentage seven percent below the league average yeah that's fair like for a guy with his athleticism and yeah they're trying to let him do more offensively and i i trust their development but as of right now he has not been a part of their solution for their miserable half-court offense uh kate cunningham has to be on this list as well but uh ben simmons was my number two Mm. um and the combination of playing terribly perhaps due to health and then now again he's out with a calf strain after the knee soreness and and it just 
even and even frankly during these games where he was supposedly playing better i still didn't see the defensive impact from him right like that's what really playing as like you know the best or one of the best def- perimeter defenders in basketball like he hadn't didn't reach that level even in when he was getting more confidence offensively and i also thought he was a lot of him playing better was just a high conversion rate on some like difficult fading hook shots that i'm just not sure that that is going to continue so yeah he would be number two for me and number three james wiseman to just yeah not, like, i hadn't it, i hadn't it, thought about him but that's fair like they basically once they got him off the team it's like everything was fine again <laughs> like i mean the to to be so bad like it, it he and Anderson Barajao are the only two players to stop Stephen Curry in like the last eight years. <laughs> it's amazing. But yeah, for him to be in the G League, for him to be getting trashed by Nemius Kita in the G League for 38 points, it's just wow. Uh, a few others I wanted to throw out there. Obviously, Kawhi, that's injury related. JaVale McGee, given absolutely nothing to the Mavs right now. LeBron, 53% sure. true shooting this year. It had some and has some injury issues but you know he just hasn't been when he we didn't even bother discussing him in, in all nba i mean that's a major problem and rashawn holmes out of the rotation in sacramento and they're better for it that's this morning as well be a surprise team i had three candidates here and all of them are, are worthy in different ways those three in no particular order the sacramento kings the utah jazz and the indiana pacers yeah you know I think you'd have to go with the Jazz, particularly because... That's what I did. Yeah, they they were the ones who were just so obviously supposed to be tanking. Although the Pacers... I mean, they and the Pacers both were supposed to be tanking. But, yeah, I mean, who would you say had a lower preseason expectation? Because as of this point, the Pacers actually have a better record than the Jazz. Although I would say the Jazz have been better at their best and their fundamentals are a little bit better. And also when they were whole with Mike Conley, they, they actually were really, really good. I mean, a reasonable proxy for this, even though it's imperfect is that the the jazz did have a 20 their vegas over under was 23.5 and indies was 22.5 and i think they projected plenty of trades for both of those teams so i i think maybe so i guess that would mean that the jazz were expected to be the better team but i also like i i think i believe in the jazz a little bit more at, at pure strength and also because you and i both really like miles turner and like thought okay if they have him around like the defense will be passable and then I, I love Tyrese Halliburton and everything else. So, like, for me, the, this Jazz team, we had the uncertainty with Colin Sexton because he hadn't played in a while. Lowry Markin has been, you know, he's your number one, my number two biggest surprise player. And because they had a new head coach. So, like, we're talking about the net surprise. It's like they had to have a lot of things go right, and they did. Disappointing team. Minnesota by a mile and three quarters, which is kind of funny considering they're 11 and 11. But it's just, it. part of it is the distinct feel that you that like kind of it seems like you pick up and and no team that has basically an even net rating and that has an even record has had I, I, that i can recall in the whole time i've been an nba analyst has more losses like a higher proportion of losses that just make you think that they're that that everything's gonna fall apart like those those two losses against the spurs they've had a couple other ones where like things were looking right and then they just got worked by a straight up bad team and because for the difference between Minnesota and a team like, you know, like Miami has struggled relative to expectations. The Clippers have struggled relative to expectations. The Warriors, I mean, if they hadn't had this recent stretch, I mean, they were they were really struggling relative to expectations. Yeah, it, it is. It does seem a little harsh on the Wolves that 
the Warriors and they have the same record. The Warriors but, were but here's why. won the championship last year. But here's why. What'd you say? But there's a reason why in terms of disappointing. A, it doesn't have to be fully like based on that. Is that what has happened for the Warriors has not led to a fundamental assessment of whether the whether the concept of their team is viable. Golden State, yeah. like their bench, their bench being bad and then excising some of those players from rotation and reworking things. Okay, that happens. Like that is that is a circumstance. Or like, you know, Miami's been a little bit weird, but they've had a lot of guys injured at the same time. Jimmy Butler's missed basically half the season. Tower Heroes missed a bunch of time. They're two most important offensive players at the same time. That's always really hard. The Clippers, best players that barely played at all this year. I guess Paul George has played. But um it's but with Minnesota, like I've spent portions of the season and, and part of it is for, I'm harder on them because I thought they were going to be good. But they like I I don't I feel less confident in the conceit there than I did before. And I don't feel that way with any other team in the NBA. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And yeah, I mean, just to just feel like, man, this has like no chance of working right now, which that's probably being too harsh. And they did have a nice win without Carl Anthony Towns tonight. I didn't get a chance to watch that one. But yeah, it's uh. And I, I think people are being like a little bit too harsh on the Wolves. In fact, I, I had this deal with DraftKings where I'm doing sponsored tweets for them. And one of them is uh, basically I have to like take their odds and come up with something interesting to say on Twitter and then say it's a sponsored tweet. And so I was going to pick something about the Wolves over under and basically how whatever it is, I'm probably going to say it. I think it's too low even after the town's injury. Like I do think there's talent here. I think they will figure it out to some degree and people are maybe buying into the narrative too much like i think they very easily can you know they'll still be a 45 win team or something like that like that's very possible sure it's just the high-end outcomes to me are now what's kind of off the table seeing how this has gone in the beginning right and also that none of their important players are really exceeding or even living up to expectations and the the mix is not going well so like i had this idea it's like oh you know like last year the wolves offense was so good when edwards and towns were on the floor and that hasn't i to my, to my recollection that hasn't held and the the wolves defense has been pretty good with gobert but not nearly as good and then they've fallen of course off a cliff the, there's also some schedule effects with them yes too, where they that five game win streak for the teams they played were pretty crippled and then they even have lost twice to the spurs like their schedule in the beginning was very easy you felt like they were in a great circumstance to get off to a really good start and that of course has not happened but certainly the warriors have to be in this conversation absolutely they're my number two um you know brooklyn plus 1.7 net rating 12 and 11 obviously the whole Kyrie thing he would have to be in the most disappointing oh, players and, again, and Nate, on the scheduling front yeah. uh the way dunks and threes does net rating they do they do adjust schedule adjusted offense defense and net ratings they have minnesota as the number 24 team in the league right now so the easiest schedule basically like seventh easiest schedule yeah they've had the um i yeah i think they've had uh the by yeah they've i think it's the fourth easiest schedule so far in the league yeah and so and that's again not adjusting for all the injuries with the good teams that they beat during that stretch i believe so yeah i don't think dunks and threes doesn't like adjust for who is actually in the lineup in a given game for the opposing team um charlotte they've just been destroyed by injuries and that the, the number 30 offense in the league yeah uh, I, detroit, I, I forgot about them but they're 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 th they're three yeah detroit uh, th they're, they're disappointing too well yeah because remember detroit they're detroit was trying to win like this is it's not a circumstance like some of these other teams where they were 
they're in the mix. Like Detroit is 29th in net rating and they made sacrifices in terms of cap space and, and everything else to be competitive. And that's not all Kate Cunningham being so hurt. Executive of the year. I actually thought... Who, who are the candidates? Should okay, yeah, let's, let's work through there? the field. So one of them is the executive who made the big swing trade that has worked the best so far, and that's Kobe Altman, because they yeah. got Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell has been awesome, and the stuff they sacrificed is totally seemed fine. Uh, Jeff Weltman had the number one pick in a year that the number one pick was very uncertain, and I believe we don't know with Chet Holmgren because he's been hurt, unfortunately, but knowing what I know right now, I think he took the right player, so that's yeah. there. Resigning Bull Bull. Sure. As well as another one where you're like, what, they're paying him $3 million a year? Like, yeah. above now, minimum? Like, he doesn't play? What the hell do they do? Resigning and, Mo Bamba? And- mm, but... That, that's okay. Um, Monty McNair, remember one of the most important things that an executive does is they hire a coach. And Mike Brown has done a very good job for them so far. Well, the, the Monk signing, we'll see on Keegan Murray. You know, he was playing well until this back injury. We'll uh, Kevin, Kevin like, Herter has been it. very important yeah. for them. The theory of yeah. just having more shooting has been very positive for them. Uh, Brad Stevens, not only the interim decision with Joe Missoula, but I mean... I think Brogdon's working out reasonably well for them, convincing ownership to pay into the tax. I think I think those are the st- and then and then the one who is my number one, which is Danny Ainge. Pretty funny to me. I had Altman number one, uh, Ainge two. That two executives who traded with each other. Yes, are and these are two teams that had different goals and i think those trades are going to be win-win ultimately we'll see i mean the gobert trade more than the mitchell trade but let's not forget the they got larry markinen who might be an all-star this year in that deal for mitchell which no one thought was happening and sexton has been decent for them i think he'll continue to get better and of course there's all the draft picks as well yeah and so it is really fun that those that those general managers traded with each other and and the other thing for danny ainge is they got a lot of assets, and even though it's not necessarily what you and I prioritize, they're a credible team right now. And that also means that they could theoretically move some of these players for additional resources. I mean, Malik Beasley has done a lot to rehabilitate his stock. I think you could theoretically move him for positive value. If they want to make a move involving Sexton at some point, it seems like Ainge really likes him. And all of that matters. And the Jazz are they're a fun team. Like I, Part of why I had Ainge number one is because like being... Being a fan of of their organization, like during all this process, like I think it has to be so much more fulfilling than a lot of these, which is pretty awesome. I still have Daryl Morey at number three. I realize that the Sixers are only two games above 500, but given all the injuries, that's pretty good. And the depth that he's acquired has been very solid. Yeah, I mean, and and I think I still think that those are really good moves, and they're going to pay off. Yeah, you know, getting Harden to come back on that cheap one plus one. DeAnthony Melton has been big for them. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple others I, I wanted to mention. Joe Cronin, yes. the Jeremy Grant trade. They would be they good. would be sunk without the Jeremy Grant trade. Yeah. I like the the sharp pick. Actually re-signing Anthony Simons, not too bad as well. And I had McNair here. Kevin Pritchard, Ben Matherin at number six. Like so, semi obvious pick, but you still get some credit for that. I think he's handled the potential trade of Miles Turner and a potential trade with the Lakers the right way so far. Brought back Jalen Smith. That looks okay. Well, so and I, I and I have Presti in this mix too. In part, it's the most significant is actually the Jalen Williams pick because I think he was good for where where they took him. And we'll have to see on some of the other ones, especially with Chet missing this season. But I think I think they've done a they've done a good job. And the other thing that OKC like one of the big differences between them and 
Troy Weaver and the Pistons, and I'll always mentally compare them considering Weaver's connections to OKC, is that they didn't try to be anything than what they were. And even though Shea has been great, they still are kind of in that range. And I don't think they've been bad enough to like ex like to to make Shea super pissed off or something like that. Like I think they've been they've been positive. So yeah, I wanted to mention Presley. Not executive of the year. Tim Connolly. And I mean, because one of the differences, like, so I'll mention some of the other candidates here. Tim Connolly and Travis Schlenk, I think, have the, the parallel of making a big swing trade that hasn't produced the swing. And that's always really challenging. It leads to tension within ownership groups, at least the owner, like management. It. It, and, and in both of those cases, it at least one of them, which I identified at the time, one of which I didn't. It's like it's definitely very different than the sales pitch that they made. And then the other one that I think is. From- yeah, well, th- those two guys, I mean, they, they at least as of right now, it looks like they mortgaged the future for like a two bedroom, one bath. Well, for and, and I mean, in both cases, you could argue they mortgaged the future for a present that isn't much better than if they didn't. Make right. The yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. It's like they're not really any better than they were last year. It might even be worse. And now they're out all the, all these picks. And uh, maybe there are other moves that can happen. Maybe a coaching change. Uh, but you know, getting one of the most mid-range happy players in the NBA for one of the most mid-range happy coaches in the NBA, and that was going to solve your Trey Young off the floor issue, and not identifying what it was that really made Trey Young so good, which was having all this shooting around him and going away from that. That was yeah. And there's disappointing. There's one yeah. other executive that I have. I have kind of a top three, and and the other yeah, one that's there is Nico Harrison. And yeah, we have the exact same top three. I don't know. Again, not executive of the year, executive of the year. There always is going to be some melding of that and ownership. But the Dallas Mavericks, whether we're talking the original sin, which doesn't count within this, of not giving, not offering Jalen Brunson the extension that he would, that would have been a very good contract for him. But they are spending so much money on players that are worse than Jalen Brunson and not solving the problems that Jalen Brunson would solve. Yeah, it's a, a real bummer. I I thought the Wood trade was good. Sure. The McGee uh, signing has not looked good. Not getting anyone else who could dribble. It was really bad. I mean, just now they did the Walker signing. I mean, like, where was that? So, like, the, the Dallas Mavericks used the taxpayer mid-level on a player who overlapped with their other players and who so far has been worse than their other players instead of actually addressing a problem. Oh, and it's it's particularly disappointing. And the one thing at least that they haven't done, John and I talked about them pretty extensively today in the organization rankings. The one thing at least that they haven't done is throw good money after bad with the draft picks. But like, they made the West Finals last year. If they just re-signed Brunson, they probably, they might be the best team in the West right now. And, and to just cheap out on that and, and spend the money on these other guys, I just... Well, uh, and like, especially when they could have theoretically used, they don't have a ton of draft equity, but they could have used some of it to save money in other ways. Like, you know, for example, oh, you don't want to pay Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway Jr. their contracts, and you've already paid Tim Hardaway Jr., so you're sunk. No, you're not. You can pay somebody else in draft picks to to take Tim Hardaway off your hands. There are teams with sitting there with cap space right now. And that none of those, and, and maybe it was that once it got that far, Jalen Brunson was... He was going to be a Nick. He wanted to be there. They had already hired his dad and all that type of stuff. We still haven't don't have the resolution on that tampering yeah, situation. But, but there's no evidence or reporting that they were willing to even match the Knicks offer, much less exceed it. Right. And they had the capacity to do both. Yeah. And Jalen Brunson is on an eminently reasonable contract. Like that's the funniest part of this whole thing, is that 
when you consider where the league is going, it's it's not like a great contract. But when you consider the, you know, we did that little retrospective on the Sour 16s and, and how badly things can go in free agency. Like they were scoffing at giving Jalen Brunson a fair market value contract in a league that salaries might be skyrocketing within the next three years. And they're just like, no. Should we mention some other candidates? Because I have a whole bunch of them. Oh, do you? Yeah, I thought this was a, such a clear top three. I it didn't is. even go beyond that. Um, I didn't know how to consider Brian Wright with the Spurs. But when you consider the, like, I, I wanted to just mention, like, I mean, part of being an executive is running the running it in the Josh Primo situation. Not only in terms of, you know, that they picked up they picked up that rookie scale option after the allegations were already there, but also there. And I think that Wright did a good job. And again, I'm using him when the Spurs have a lot of different leaders in their structure. Um, they got a lot for, for DeJounte, which is reasonable, but then they're also, you know, they're one of the leagues. They are the league's worst team right now. Tommy Shepard took a player in the lottery that I think is not a good player right now. And I don't have a lot of hope for in the future. And, and yeah, a, a guy who just the theory of him never would. Made and he also gave Bradley Beal a no trade clause. Like, I mean, we, we forget about that yeah. because it's not one of those in season things. But like, I think you can make an argument that Shepard did more. He kind of did more to tie his own hands or a, a, a replacement's hands in the future. I'm always going to put Rob Palenka on this like pretty much every year, except the year that they won the title. I, I actually think that he's done a good job at least during this time horizon. Well, see, I mean, he, he's handled it about the way I would have handled it. I mean, they're just not getting, they're not getting a ton from their minimum salary guys. And that was, I, I didn't really believe in the players they got. And then with, with Lonnie Walker, but, I mean, maybe you would say that they should have offered Malik Monk a one plus one at the tax pyramid level to stick around. They couldn't have offered him as much as the Kings did, but maybe yeah. that one plus one would have been enough to keep him. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lonnie Walker actually has been okay. He has been, uh, but but not giving Lonnie that, Walker like, a second year, not getting any team control beyond that first year. That means it's gonna be it's gonna be very hard to retain him. But the part why why Polinka definitely shouldn't be in the top three is the core idea that you and I talked about for the season, which is don't sell don't sell everything unless the team is good enough. And he hasn't done that, so not selling the future for this team preliminarily that's a good thing. Uh, Tro- and Darvin Ham seems like he's done okay so far. Well, it's TBD. Yeah, TBD uh, there. I, and I, and I don't necessarily know how to process Troy Weaver yet because a part of what he did was like taking on this salary for guys that they thought could help yeah. and they've just been so, bad. So much of it too is just that, I mean, if Ivy and Duran work out, then yeah. he did a good job. If they don't, he did a bad job. We don't, just don't know. Um, and two more I want to mention. Bob Myers basically believing that all the young guys were going to do it and the bench being so horrible that they had to do these fundamental changes. Like that's a pretty big, it's an understandable mistake. I didn't disagree with it at the time, but that's pretty big, you know? And yeah, I mean, I, I think they just, they had to do that. You know, I yeah. think that's a, you, you clear out the space for those guys. You can always get somebody later. I, mean, yeah. I think it was, and they're actually, they things seem to mostly be fixed now, now that they just made these changes yeah. on the, on the bench, and then, it's not his fault that Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole in the face. I mean, sure. maybe you could say that Draymond should have been suspended and that, that they should have handled that differently. I'm in disagreement with that. And Once that I, happened, I there's nothing they could have done to prevent that. My instinct is that's not what caused them being so shitty at the start of the year. And yeah, also... It, it's uh, the guy who's in Santa Cruz right sure. now. Sure. And then the other, the other one I just want to mention is Mitch Kupchak, where, I mean, the Charlotte Hornets are awful. 
and part of that is Lamelo missing time. But and, and I'm not blaming Cupcheck in the slightest for what happened with with Miles Bridges. But they're they're in a tough spot, and it just seemed like they, you know, it it just seems like they didn't do a lot to. I, they didn't know where they were, and they didn't make any moves during the off season to kind of indicate that. So I'm not a huge supporter there. All right. Well, this was fun. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, a reminder that if you subscribe to Dunkdown Prime, if you're listening on the free feed, you can get not only Danny and my podcasts ad-free five days a week, not only John Hollinger and I, we just did our organization rankings exclusively for subscribers today, not only Dan Feldman's writing five days a week analyzing the latest news around the nba plus you get that in audio form but seth partno a few times a week as well access to his exclusive stats which we're going to be making available very shortly and uh, his writing a couple times three times a week as well in your inbox so all that you get with dunked on prime and it's a great gift as well if you want to get it for the basketball fan in your life touch you all next time at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.